Welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast, Raf Giallo here. You can subscribe to the RT Sport YouTube channel to watch the latest episodes and also listen in on RT.ie, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're getting closer to the end of the year, and this week we'll be wading through an interregnum period for Irish football with the FAI on the hunt for the next men's and women's senior managers. Plus there's LOI management, retirement and transfer news, and we've got PSGV Newcastle live on RT2 and RT Player tonight. So to chat all that and more, I'm joined by former Ireland under-17s, UCD, Shamrock Rovers and Sheffield Wednesday midfielder Paul Corey and the 42.ie journalist David Snade. Lads, uh, hope you're both keeping well. And we're, as I said, we're in this interregnum period and we'll start with the men's national team first, Paul. And, you know, Stephen Kenny and the the end of his time, which was confirmed last week by the FAI that his, you know, his contract won't be renewed. And... How do you view his legacy going forward in terms of his three-year period as a, a senior manager? I suppose it's too early to talk about the long-term consequences, but it was a period where a lot of young players came in and it's more, more so results are what are being, what is being discussed most at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, Raf. And listen, it was a huge period of transition that that senior men's team has gone through over the last number of years. And Stephen has overseen that it's, it's a tenure that, began with so much hope and there was so much support and so much willingness, particularly from people based in Ireland who follow the League of Ireland of Stephen wanting to do well. And unfortunately it just, it finished so flat. And a lot of that is down to the performances and the results. And it's probably a managerial reign that we'll look back on as, as probably being a bit of a disappointment if we're being honest about it. And there's no getting away from some of the results we've had, particularly against the likes of Greece, Luxembourg, even through the Nations E campaign, there was disappointing results. But I think what it will do, and we've probably been saying this now for 18 months, is that whoever is to take over after this qualifying campaign is probably inheriting a half-decent squad. I think the you know, the guts of the squad are certainly there to work with when you look at the spine of the team. We seem to have a number of young centre-halves coming through. I know Alex Murphy is maybe somebody that we talk about later on in the show, but he's another one who could potentially come in. If you look at then Dara O'Shea, Amabamadile, we've got the guts of a, a decent foundation there. And then there's probably elements, particularly in the middle of the park, that we need to work on. But then you look at the final end of the pitch, you have the likes of Evan and, and Chidoze Benny, who were particularly kind of coming to the fore. And all of those players have been introduced from Stephen. And Stephen deserves a lot of credit for, for introducing them. Some will say that he needed to do that, and that's really the only hand he had. I don't believe that. I think he could have gone a safer route. But um, he was brave. He was, you know, ballsy to an extent. Uh, it didn't pay off, but it certainly leaves the squad a lot younger, a lot fresher. And you've got you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds with 10-plus caps. And that it has to be of benefit, whoever takes the job. But I think Stephen will have regrets about how it played out, maybe have regrets about some of the, the personnel and the formations that he played in different situations. That's normal. But um, listen, I think so many people hoped that it would have gone better, but it, it just, it, it was very, very flat by the end. And unfortunately, when that happens and the results aren't good, the performances aren't good, it was inevitable that Stephen was going to go. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of the candidates, David. I mean, the likes of Lee Carsley, of course, is uh, appear- apparently one of the FAI's leading targets. And then there's Neil Lennon, who has put himself forward at the weekend as well. And, of course, other names, Steve Bruce, Roy Keane, others have been have been mentioned. But uh, I suppose the first thing is, uh, w- the one thing about Stephen Kenny was at least he seemed to fit into the alignment that um, has been set up in terms of the FAI's sporting or director of football, which is uh, Mark Canham and uh that's go- going forward in terms of who actually replaces Stephen Kenny long term that's going to be a crucial facet that needs to be talked about even before you get on to names 
Yeah, and it, it's something that's going to be getting talked about even at the moment in terms of now the process of actually determining that manager and whether or not Mark Cannon will have that kind of free-for-all really to go and make sure he goes and gets the person that he wants in terms of fitting into that structure because it the point of this and how it's gone with Stephen Kenny is kind of just reiterated that fact that maybe, do you know what, for all the work that you do as an association with terms of that pathway between coaching and playing all the way up, for Ireland and for the FAO especially, the importance of qualifying for tournaments and the money that comes with that is so important, like really, really important, even more so when you consider the FAO well, I still have 50, nearly 50 million euro worth of liabilities by the, by the last accounts. So it definitely kind of beginning to strike now, even there's a realization. Well, some of some of the um, some of the kind of thinking behind things maybe is still a little bit aspirational in terms of feeling well, yeah, the senior team are going to have that exact same type of manager who, like the FAI, have been doing over the last number of years, where the, all the international managers and coaches will, will have meetings and, and all the rest of it and have that kind of sense of a percentage kind of joined up thinking that obviously would have to remain, you would think, but. In terms of now going of picking out what who their next manager is going to be, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see. Well, you've got possibly say a director of football in there who Mark Cannon, who was kind of spoken about this. He's spoken about it on the record in relation to the Virda Pau uh, kind of replacement and, and why and what the reason was for that, and not so much in terms of the men's the men's job because that that wasn't that wasn't obviously available at the time. Stephen Kenny was still in the job yet. It's very clear from from Mark Hannum's talking after after uh Verda Play uh Verda had, um poor contract wasn't renewed of where where his was think where his thinking was. But now it's gonna be well other people in the association who have a say, well, what do they view is the most important? Is it getting a manager in who brings with it a profile and an element of I wouldn't say glamour because I don't think there's too much glamour, but like it's just a, a kind of a different that's that element, different profile of, that comes with the job. Marrying that up with yeah, fitting into where the FA want to go with their coaching structures, but then also having that track rock, track record of being able to deliver success with resources that wouldn't be considerable, you know. And that's now it's very very clear now that that is that is the most important thing here now. It's so now from the candidates who put themselves forward, from the people they have in mind themselves, well, who kind of covers the holes almost those three thresholds as best as possible? Because like what like what Paul was saying about the start of the Stephen Kenny era coming into us, there was so much hope and by the end of it it fell flat. I don't think anybody's thinking, right, that's the end of it. You can't you can't continue on with that type of a manager who wants to play in that a certain way or or bring in certain players. But it even just became evident, even if you just obviously the nature of say the overhaul of the squad which was needed absolutely was needed but again like Paul made, made a point like what our managers might not have done it if they could have gotten away with it they could have maybe phased in a lot a lot a lot uh, kind of more what's the word maybe just done it maybe a bit more considerate with a bit more consideration almost rather than right everyone's coming in over the course of two two three years which isn't a huge amount of time like now you can't like, I don't think that's going to happen again because so many players have come through but like what we saw, even with the last in the last window, the likes of say Mikey Johnson who comes in, he looks as if provided he stays fit, it's going to be considerable asset going forward. Liam Scales emerged again at a point, and this is just another point, another aspect of it as well, where you're going to have lads in their in their own club careers who force their way into the team, and they can't be ignored. Maybe out of nowhere, you know, 
different. You're going to have players that uh, will, will be late developers. You have players coming through, even younger, possibly who deserve to have their place. It's going to be that constant revolving nature in the squad. It's not going to be sorry evolving nature. It's not going to be right. All these players that Ken, Stephen Kenny has brought through, they're the ones that are going to be the absolute backbone and therefore for the next 10 or 12 years because there's still no guarantees that that's going to happen. That's where you're FBI in terms of having a manager in the short term now. Let's be honest, it is a short term gig. You'll have one, two, two campaigns pretty much at it to try and, to try and qualify. Obviously, the fact that Ireland more than likely going to be in as co host for, for Euro 2028 once that's kind of determined by by UEFA would, would, would be a help. So that's where the effort are at now in terms of that managerial search is actually looking and saying, well, who covers those three bases in terms of having that profile, having that. Uh, background and kind of in, su- in success, I, I would, and I would say crucially at international management level, in having that whereby they, they know how it works in terms of that, as I mentioned earlier, the kind of the nature of how, how the squads can be, and obviously a very, very basic one, but someone who they can afford because they're not going to be able to do it in, in years past where they have a couple of million euro coming through from a benefactor to, to pay for this, you know. Yeah, um, for people who are interested in the Mark Cannon side of it in terms of the director of football and the issue of alignment, etc., would recommend Anthony Pine's piece on RT Die, FAI director of football, Mark Cannon, tasked with finding focus in a blur of change. But let's talk about some of the candidates and the ones first, Paul, I mean, that have come forward in either very directly as Neil Lennon did on Premier Sports at the weekend, Steve Bruce in another outlet where he essentially, you can you can put it down as a come and get me plea, and then Gus Poyet, who was the first out of the the, out of the blocks when I think he suggested that the uh, the Ir- Ireland training gear and seeing you know the fans here I think when they were over here in September wearing it wearing it around the city that that uh, seemed to you know seemed to catch his eye um, first Neil Lennon though I mean of course we know him from his time managing Celtic um, I think his last job was Ammonia Nicosia which is 13 months ago where had some ups and downs, but he did win the cup there. Uh, what do you make of his credentials for the role? Obviously, um, as David said there, you know, having past international experience as a manager would be something that would be uh, a potential criteria, or at least something that would be uh, of benefit. But uh, in his case, his international experience was as a player with uh, with Northern Ireland previously. Yeah, and listen, it's it's I would say normal enough for managers out of work to put their hands up and say, this is something that I'm interested in. I would do the exact same thing. Sure. Neil Lennon, I don't really know, Raph, to be honest with you. Um, he seems to have been off the radar for a long period of time. Cyprus and Cypriot football seems to be, you know, not something that we keep tabs on. And it seems a long, long time ago since he was at Celtic. Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't really know when it comes to specific personnel. I worked with Gus Poyet when he was at Brighton, very nearly signed from and, I thought tactically he was incredible. I really did. He, he did wonderful things at that Brighton team as well. Um, but again, an, another manager who's somewhat meandered over the last number of years. So it's hard to say that they are the right people to take the job. It doesn't seem like they're kind of coming into it off a, a hot run of form, having worked at a club or done particularly well with an international team. I think it, what I would be looking for, and it's kind of a continuation of David's point, is it should be a continuation from Kenny. And for me, that would be an alignment from the CEO to the director of football to whoever's going to be in charge. We shouldn't find a situation whereby we completely rip up the the plan or the process or whatever you want to call it, the style of play, and go back to something that looks so foreign to what Stephen was trying to do. I think what people are asking for is balance. 
And we probably didn't see enough balance in Stevens' play, whereby, yes, we need to become more difficult to play against. At times, we're going to have to sit deep and be a bit ugly and, and put our backs up against the wall and just be difficult to play against. But that continuation of trying to be a bit more of a possession-based team at the right time, the right place in the park, should absolutely be at the forefront of whoever is going to put their hands up and take this job forward. And I'm sure that's what the FAI will be looking for. Now, the person that they identify is rightly going to be constrained by the finances that we have at the moment. So maybe it is looking at somebody out of work, the likes of a Lennon or a Poyas or somebody in that mold. I don't really know. I think for me, what I would be looking for is maybe somebody who's got a, you know, a steady set of hands, who's been around the game for a long period of time. I think that's important when you've got so many young players coming into a squad. Um, I, I think we need somebody who, with that experience who can put a bit more structure on our play and help us out. Because sometimes when I looked at the Irish team, particularly in the qualifying campaign gone by, it was hard to actually determine what it is we were trying to do. Are we pressing? Are we sitting back? When we have the ball, are we making the pitch you know, big and trying to play it from the back or are we going into direct to, to Evan? And that kind of signaled to me that at times it looked like we were a bit scattered and a bit all over the place. So I think somebody with experience to come in and do that would be my preference over maybe somebody like Ali Carsley who's come up through the ranks of, of the FA and has you know great experience of working with younger players. I'd be more leaning on somebody who's a bit more proven with getting results um, at a high level within the game. And I don't know who that person is. I don't know if if Poyet and Co are the right people. A lot of that will come down to Mark Cannon, but maybe some of the attributes that I've mentioned there is what I'd be looking for. Yeah, and just, sorry, Raph, but yeah. just on that, like we're, we're mentioning some of the names, because they're just some of the names that have been bandied about. But this is the thing, like, it has to be a proper process here of obviously there'd be people coming in and throwing their name into the ring and, and doing the interviews for it. Like just because a few of the names that are, are there publicly at the moment are to the to the forefront, it's not as if that's who this is confined to. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there will be left field people coming in that will apply for the job. Of course they will. Like there's so many managers out, out of work who will who will jump to be getting back involved in management. And then likewise as well, you'd also think and it will be a test of Mark Canham as well in terms of where he's at as a director of football, essentially where having that contact book and going on, that's the nature of football, being able to sound out people and say, well, hold on, do you fancy this job? And putting forward a case by why this job is attractive. Like you, you saw that interview from Chidozzi many in the Irish Times over the weekend where he spoke very positively. It does fit, this is him. He's not, it's not as if the new manager coming in is going to be coming into an absolutely disillusioned camp. They're low on confidence because of how the results are. Of course they are. But there's players there who believe they're on the cusp of something. Do you know what I mean? Which is so important. It's not as if he's going to have to come in and rip everything up and pick lads totally up off the floor here. He's coming into a group of players who have, boy, and this is down to Stephen Kenny, let's be honest, who have been given their given their kind of going football, international football and feel as if they belong there now. Do you know what I mean? Which is a really important thing. So that's got to be a big thing for the managers. Like, so we're hearing some of the names like, like Steve Bruce and it's probably the first come, come and get me please sponsored by a bookmakers, is it? I don't know. But like, and then there's uh, obviously Poya, he he kind of he was on a major charm offensive before I remember in that press conference. Remember the whole spy gay stuff about before the last game. And I don't know whether it was just regarding stuff like that, but he was even beforehand was speaking very funny. You even mentioned there with the whole tracksuit thing. But he's just a fellow who has a serious presence. Sometimes you don't even you can't you can't explain it until you're actually in the, in the makes sense until you're in the presence of somebody. But like 
just who can command the room and command the group of players and all the rest of it. Like, Poyet would seem to have that. Like, and it's funny because obviously Gary Dicker was one of those people. Then remember the whole thing about he obviously walked up Matt Appleby and and as a coach and stuff. And I remember doing an interview with spending a bit of time with, with Gary when he was at Kilmarnock and he was talking about about Poyet. And one of the things he used to say was how when they were bright at that time in the old fourth division essentially it wasn't the league one getting promoted up he had this thing because they'd be blitzing teams absolutely blitzing teams and he'd be like make them suffer make them suffer don't let up he was drilling that into them and not that it has to be quiet but I kind of feel they try and have they was trying to speak to as many people for this as possible and get a sense of the person because that's another maybe it is because of the, the youth the youth element it does feel as if this is a very nice Ireland team like they're a nice team to play against I think that has to change a little bit as well as everything like the best performance under Stephen Kenny was against Scotland at home when Malumbi just had an intensity in that midfield that kind of mixed with just the the attacking kind of prowess in that game that really, really clicked. That was the if you go back to that, that was the moment where you thought, right, this is this is the pro this is the plan here. This is how Ireland have to play. Going back to that point Paul made about well, what was it? Was it pressing? Was it sitting off? Was it picking your moments? Like in that game it was full on, it was intense. And then when the moments came to have that bit, a little bit of class in the final toward Ireland delivered, you're not always going to win those games 3-0. But that was the kind of sense, that was almost as if that should have been how Ireland were at all the time. Having that level of, of aggression about that play and then marrying it up. And that's something, like what I was saying earlier, but the next manager has to come in and try and, try and instill, because it definitely did feel as if sometimes they were just a bit easy and a bit nice to play against. And, and yeah. just on that, like very quickly, like we we are very, way too nice and we have been for a long period of time with them without the ball. That could also like we're a bit soft. We are a bit soft and we're easy to play against. We give teams chances and maybe a lot of time we have possession of the ball. We don't actually go anywhere with it. And to your point, Dave, I think the way of building confidence for the young squad is by getting results. And that's maybe why I'd lean maybe towards somebody with just a little bit of experience in bank. Yeah, because looking at the experience, a couple of names we've mentioned so far, we'll talk about a few others uh, later on. But like, I mean, Neil Lennon at Celtic. I mean, if you if you take the Scottish Premiership aside, um, you're looking at Champions League experience, and I think particularly one game against uh, Barcelona in November 2012, where they they won two one, and those kind of performances. You mentioned Poyet as well, and um, Paul, I, I'm just wondering. You mentioned he's very good tactically, and he seems to have done a good job of Greece. I mean, we saw it firsthand what they did to us home and away, but. What's he like as a personality as well? As he is, you know, is he is he he comes across very passionate, um, when you're watching him from outside, but within you know within the confines of an environment, what's your kind of gauge on him? Yeah, I was there for a week, Raf, and it was actually during my time at UCD or during uh, one of the summer breaks. Um, UCD wouldn't let me go back over, which is why I didn't really <laughs> pursue that anymore. But extremely passionate on a training pitch. And you can see the the kind of the build of the man. He looks as if he could still play. And he was very much involved in sessions there, as was his assistant, Tariko. I'm pretty certain Tariko was with them at, at Greece as well, wasn't he? He seems to bring him. Yeah. At the old left back. That left back who's yeah, from, from Tottenham. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Uruguayan. And um, you know, very hands-on with regards to kind of how they would set up with them without the ball. And putting people physically into shapes and doing a bit of shadow play to to work on things. And that was something maybe whereby my eyes being opened up to different ways of seeing the game and different ways of playing the game. And I remember being brought up into his office and he was showing me clips of Lewis Dunk taking the ball out of the fence and how this was, this is going back now, 10, 12 years about how comfortable he was and how he saw his teammate being built around these players and the movements then once Dunk, Dunk took the ball out of the fence 
in order to create bits of space for for players in the midfield. And that's what he was trying to show me. Um, I was very impressed. I was very young at the time. He was showing me pictures that maybe I just hadn't seen before. And maybe as a diehard Chelsea fan, I obviously had a bit more loyalty towards him than maybe others. So I was kind of surprised to see that, you know, maybe after Brighton, things didn't really take off because the hallmarks that I had seen there, he had buy-in from the players. Like Dave mentioned, they had a really good run in League One and then eventually added the championship. And I thought he was putting together something that was going to be very impressive. It has ended up being, but not with him at the forefront of that. Um, what he did tactically against Ireland was was very good. You know, when you look away from home, how they really kind of nullified our wing-backs, you know, strangled us with regards to getting players up the pitch. And I would say tactically, we were done in both of those games. And you know, I was kind of surprised he didn't get kept on within that Greek job. I wonder what his relationship is like with the FA there. But the results weren't horrific um, in some of the games against the Dutch and the French. And maybe if they had a bit of an easier group, they might have been handed far more of an opportunity of getting out of that group. But, you know, tactically and as a person, the time that I had him, I thought he was very admirable. Yeah, no, I spoke to a Greek journalist like before um before the game in Athens. So um I think there was an impression like he you know, they they obviously won Euro two thousand and four under Otto Ray Hagel and you know that's probably gonna be the mm-hmm. Well, that's a good peak to have for any for any country um, of that standard. But um, it, it, there was a sense that he is the best manager they've had, or the one that's fitted in most since uh, since yeah. Rehagel ended. But um, again, I guess uh, all things come to an end. Lee Carsley, though, David, I mean, um, he's the one where there's been a lot of focus, obviously as a former Ireland player as well, but also the success he's had with England under twenty ones, won the Euros this year. He's on a rolling contract with the FA year on year, but there's this whole thing about. Is he in line if Gareth Southgate was to to leave and he would and basically Southgate also made the same route from 21s to yeah. senior manager and what choices he has there? I don't know what do you make of it in terms of where the FAI might go on that. If it was possible to get a kind of again the two for one package of him and Anthony Gordon, that'd be fantastic. Because he quality qualifies, that would be absolutely ideal. That'd be worth it alone for that. Like it's one of them where we're going back on on stuff like Obviously, there's people in the in the association who definitely Ray Carsey and obviously would would take him in a heartbeat. That that's both like Ireland and the FAI are into them is a simple position of just going and saying we want you and then you're going to get it. It's going to be a case of like and you've laid it out there. Like you would imagine Carsey now is, is going to be having conversations at the timings of, of what's happening with Southgate. Will he be carrying on after um, the Euros next summer? Like England, you would think the same team. They look primed to go and win a win a tournament with the with the age profile and the experience of, of their squad, and you would think one way or another that's going to be Southgate's kind of swan song, and then they're going to be looking, and you would think the way English football with the, at that level is gone, it, they're gone past the day of right maybe not having success, and then deciding we're going to bring in Fabio Capello or, or Sven Goran Eriksson. They're definitely working within the system that they have, and you would imagine, and I don't know this at the moment unless he's been told differently already, that Carsley, considering he has had so much success with the 21s and would be working with players who we imagine will eventually progress as well and would already know players who are in that senior squad and how they operate that, he'll, he'll be in the mix for that. And let's be honest, like unless he's been told differently already now, he'd be an absolute madman to take a job when that job could be up for grabs in a year's time. Like He is stock as high 
it's like sometimes when, especially, and we know this, well, especially over the last 10 years of, of covering the Ireland team, when a player is not playing, not in the squad, their, their value and their importance to a team only increases. Like, so, like, Carsley is not in a rush here where he has to panic and say, right, I need to take this. This is the one opportunity I have to come and become the Ireland manager. If that's what he wants, you would think, if you speak to people who, who would know him well and who are former teammates and they would all say that it's a job that yeah he would take down but whether or not he'll take it now um, and again like you see I've seen a couple of times the 21s the England 21s when they, when they played and the, the talent that obviously he's had at, at his disposal and at that level and he's done really well with him like the success he's had like you know he's, he's won tournaments so um it's, it's just another element whereby do they feel, well, yeah, will you take it? If they get the right soundings from where you'll take it, you go and speak to them. And then that's when it comes down to Canham's decision about who else they're going to be talking to. If they've already zeroed in and he's their number one target and from your own understanding of it, he's up there, but it's not as if they're going all in on, on him and nobody else. Like he'll be one person they will speak to as part of it. Well, then you would say, well, like the, like the point Paul made and what we were saying earlier, well, how would he go and do it at senior level and for this group of players? What would what would the plan he'd have in place of how he want to how he wants to do it? So it would be it would be it would be a coup for them to take him away from the English FA. But you would also imagine that from his point of view, he'd be having conversations with those bosses to say, well, what could be coming down the tracks here? Do you know? Yeah. So, yeah, because Paul. Because sorry, the time wise on it as well. If you go back to it, sorry, the time wise, there's no competitive game for Ireland until next September. Yeah. By which point, like he can, like Nick Harris, you can see pretty leave yeah. the friendlies off in the first time and just say, well, do you know, summer, summer time next summer could be a totally different outlook for him, where he is in his own career. You know. Yeah, and I mean, Paul, um, looking at his, uh, you know, his credentials, obviously, as bit as David's outlined there, you know, he's done good work with within the English system. He was an out of possession coach, it seemed, from under fifteens to under twenty ones initially, before getting that twenty ones job. And uh, one of the things apparently was just in terms of using some of those young players and playing them almost out of position and actually getting the best out of them seems to be something that uh, he has an ability to do. But uh, I think, as you've said, it would um, it would present a bit of a risk for the FAI given his lack of. Experience experience as a you know a senior manager whether it's a club level and obviously at international level it's been in the age grade sides and the structures within the FAI or the FA are, are brilliant and you know you look at obviously Southgate has moved through the coaching staff from under 15 seem to move up as do the players through the grades and they've done a magnificent job of producing excellent talent and getting them into first teams within the Premier League I think with Carsley like the one asterisk I would have against his name when you look at the 21 success is just the level of talent that he has. Like it, it, that 21s team would would do well against our full national side and will probably do decent within a Premier League setting as well. Some of the players and the talent they have is just incredible and players who are playing consistently within the Premier League. So maybe when you look at the 21s results, you probably have to just take that into consideration that yes, he's done well, but in the majority of the games that he's going into, he probably knows that, okay, we've got the players here to control the tempo of games uh, we've got weapons within our team that can go and hurt teams and score goals and put them away. The same can't be said about our national side. And have we seen, and to be honest with you, I haven't seen enough of the England 21s to understand, Do does he have the capability of setting his team up to be difficult to play against and grind out and get results? Because that's what we're going to need, Ralph. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question about Lee Carsley and his talent and where he could potentially go. He was earmarked when he was, I think at his time at Brentford as somebody who was 
you know, particularly good from a coaching point of view, and they wanted him to stay on there, but he didn't want the the first team job. So there's definitely potential there for Lee Carsley. I would be inclined to agree with David in the sense that his gig at the 21s is so good and so safe and the potential to step up to an England senior team. Like you have to remember the finances that are involved there and what that could potentially do for him, his life, the opportunity to go on and win competitions with, with the English full or uh, senior squad. I think that's probably a situation that he will want to monitor over the next 12, 18 months and interview for that job when it comes up. He might look at the Ireland one and say, you know, maybe not right now, but if I didn't get, if I don't get the England job, in you know the next 18 months well then maybe when that qualifying campaign is over and the FAI are then looking again I'll throw my name into the hat um, there's no doubt that he's a fantastic coach and he's got all the the you know kind of credentials of winning tournaments and, and working with younger players I'm not sure how that transmits into what it is we have and the players that we have and the way that we need to set up he's definitely somebody who's going to be t- top of the list with regards to candidates that they'll interview um, I just wonder who else is out there that might be able to fit the players that we have yeah, and David, I'm just going to say two words, Roy and Keane. <laughs> no, thanks. It's two more words, man. <laughs> yeah, realistically, it you know he's been out of management for, well, if we're talking yeah. about being first for, for such a long time, he has coached as an, in assistant roles at club level, and obviously with Martin O'Neill as well. But he's a name being mentioned, but any time I've seen his name mentioned, it's always been in and around it will be a coup in terms of the potential sponsors. And that's going to be the, the bigger, the biggest thing that's mentioned. That that's the thing. That's and see this is goes goes back into kind of the overall point that we're both really discussing here, going back and forth in terms of the profile of the coach. It's kind of where the FAI again find themselves where it's like, right, do you continue with someone who are away of playing? Because if you go back this to the team, like something that's progressive or going just for something that has a bit of kudos to it because there'll be some journalists who will absolutely Love God to work and speak to Roy Keane because there's no doubt there's some of the lads in the B that's that's the B all end all for them. Do you know what I mean? Ask Roy Keane a question, great, happy days, brilliant. That's all he cared about. But like, so Roy Keane has more like is on like doing the overlap. He does Sky Sports. He's making an absolute fortune there. Like, that's a big thing for him as well. He's got his gig there. Like every time you hear him talking about football, and let's be honest, he's forgotten about it more than I know about it. I've absolutely not. But like. I just don't see how you could throw him into a modern day dressing room, especially international football now. Because even the dressing room from where he was at with Ireland to where it is now is, is so much different. So much different. Like, it's, like if he was going and have that presence and then, you know what, have a serious staff around him, well, then maybe you would have a, I just don't even think that's how, how he would do it. You know what I mean? Maybe you would. Maybe because like, they go back. Maybe you would as well, because at Sutherland, that was the thing, wasn't it? And even at Ipswich, where he had a staff around him, and he would there'd be times where he wouldn't be there from, say, a Monday to a Thursday, and he would then turn up and he'd have that kind of presence then for the last couple of totally different way of doing it at international level. I just could be wrong. I just, you see him on, I just see him, I just kind of see him now through that prism of being that kind of like entertainer a little bit and pulling out on Sky Sports and doing the punditry and, and doing that kind of stuff. I just, kind of feel as if he's been away from it now for, from football for, for quite a while in terms of that management side where I don't even know if that's 100% what he still does want to do. I'd like, you would imagine if it really, really was, he would have gone in and, and done all our jobs. You hear him talking about, there's no job that's going to be perfect, it's going to suit everything. Sometimes you just have to jump back in and there's no doubt that he would have had those opportunities and it's clear that maybe it hasn't, he hasn't hasn't fancied them. He hasn't, he hasn't fancied them. Um, and I just, I just don't know if 
we just don't see it being a fit that would that would work. More so from his point of view, not even just the FAO. I just don't I just don't see it. Unless they say, yeah, you can keep on doing your sky thing. Um which I just don't see how that would work. I just I think maybe need to get away from that a little bit in terms of having that someone there at the forefront uh, to whereby they're the kind of the dominant personality driving driving everything. Obviously you do that as a coach, but I definitely just feel as if it needs to be someone who can work within the system and over the next few years try and, and try and deliver success that way rather than just short short termism where you get one manager in for just one campaign, try and qualify and then you're going back to the drawing board all the time and again it's the more overarching point where building stuff from the from the from the bottom up, that's what has to happen. And even as I'm saying that, the ways are turning to my own head, I'm like, well, even in the short term, you still need to do some top help and make sure you have success. I just don't think even Roy Keane, you could say, will guarantee a success even in, in one campaign. I just think it's just too much of a risk in all factors of it. Yeah, and there's a kind of uncertainty side to it. Like, obviously, you mentioned the Sky stuff, um, the stuff he does with Gary Neville, and Wright, etc. I always think he comes across quite well and that quite likeable. But, Paul, I mean, the one thing when watching him doing punditry, um, I've never got a sense, I think, in all the years what is it is, you know philosophy is a bit of a dirty word in football but what is his view on the game in terms of the tactical side or how he would set up a team beyond you know things like commitment and character and all that kind of stuff and I don't know in your time sort of watching watching him doing punditry have you got a sense of like his view on the game in terms of uh you know how he how he would set up a team beyond the personality stuff he's certainly not the the individual on on Sky anyway who gets the tactic boards out and and looks yeah at no, and I, one thing I might just add in there I don't think he gets asked those questions either because maybe there's a people are looking for sound bites as opposed to the, the stuff that maybe he does think about but maybe he just doesn't get asked yeah that's true and and listen I'd say he he'd be very pragmatic in his approach and he'd probably be very uh, understanding of of the players that we have and the capabilities that we have within a squad and and trying to look to play to players' strengths. And that's what you should do. I think when it comes down to it, Raf, you know, whatever his style of play is, you know, even if it's not Roy Keane or it's not Lee Carsey, the manager doesn't need to be the one that's kind of taking the coaching sessions. You you know, that is the value of having a number two and and the backroom staff to kind of help to coach and implement that style of play that you have within your side. Of course, you don't have much time with an international team, but you do want to get kind of the nuts and bolts of how you want to set up. I would say that, you know, from a managerial point of view, we would imagine that his team will be very reflective of his personality, which is a lot of character, a lot of determination and a lot of heart to kind of go out and get results within games. Is that a continuation or would it be a continuation of Stephen? Probably not. It would probably be a bit more, um, you know, back to being that maybe uglier team to play against and harder team to play against. I'm not sure. And it's very hard to say because we haven't seen him manage in so long. Is he going to be that kind of possession-based manager at the right moment to kind of get the ball down and try play when it gets into the final third? Um, we're probably guessing we're... we're we're looking at certain individuals and, and kind of trying to predict how they might play. I'll be honest, I'm not sure Roy Keane is probably the individual to to take this job on. Um, I think it'll probably be somebody who you're able to kind of get bit, get a bit of a better gauge on given kind of their recent jobs or recent successes or uh, a bit more evidence of, of how they're going to play. And I'd be very surprised, I really would, Raf, if, if Roy Keane was to get that. Yeah, and I suppose the um, the last name I'll mention, obviously there have been other kind of names that have been thrown around in the media, the likes of Chris Hewton, Hervé Renard, etc. But um, in terms of John Eustace, who was who parted ways with Birmingham City, which 
and then they they brought on Wayne Rooney and then absolutely also, no chance, Raf. In what doesn't sense? Deserve, doesn't deserve the job. I just don't think so after how how what happened the last time how he how he left. I'll be honest, sorry for I don't mean to be dismissive of I know obviously he's someone who's been involved and he's still doing really well at Birmingham. But I think I remember when we were dealing with the pod the last uh, around the time when he actually left. I think we I kind of I just think the way the manner of how he came in and the kind of work that went that went in behind him getting the job and, and stuff and then and then leaving in terms of when he came in and like don't get me wrong, he got sick. So I just don't think I don't think it's someone who deserves to be the Ireland manager after after how he left the last time. That's that's just me and my own thing and, and whether it's just the nature of coming in for a couple of camps and jumping at the pretty much the first opportunity at a time when so I just don't know, I just now that, that can be made out like not someone who's involved in football in terms of right you get a job and that's it you get the offer of it and still go to torn down and yeah Birmingham was his local club growing up and all the rest of it but I just like I don't know I just think he's dirty to speak and that's only my own opinion you can be sure people may be different to think differently in the in the FAI but I just don't think he would, deserves to get the chance to be the Ireland manager to be honest yeah, although the tables did turn quite quickly at Birmingham once uh, Wayne Rooney, well, the new ownership came in and then Wayne Rooney uh, appeared on the horizon. Am I wrong there? Sorry, but am I wrong there? Tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm talking Paul, about I'll put, I'll put that to you. No, I think you've got a very valid point. I mean, he, he jumped at the first opportunity when it, it came his way and you could probably say the same for the likes of an Anthony Barry who came in and left as well. Um, maybe they have dirtied their bit, but I'm also not sure John Eustace has enough of a CV behind him to to put himself in, in the... Uh, in the list of managers that we're we'll looking at, um, I I just wouldn't see that as being the right fit. Yeah, it's, it's uh, actually it's going to be very interesting to see who does pop out of this list because just I'm sure there's a list that they're drawing of names who maybe people haven't even thought about today uh, yeah. that will come through. You would like to think that this process has been begun already, and we're eight to ten weeks down the road. Um, I know there's not a competitive game for a while, but you would like to get somebody in position, I think, to start looking at games and per- people and personnel start trying to put their fingerprints on how they want to play. Yeah, and the situation is kind of similar for the women's national team in terms of since Vera Powell, there hasn't been a permanent manager. Eileen Gleeson has done a really good job in this uh, UEFA Women's Nations League campaign. And there are a couple of fixtures uh, to come, of course, Hungary uh, this Friday, which is going to be live on RT2 and the RT player from 7pm. And then there's uh, going to be a live blog as well on RT.ie and radio commentary on 2FM, the Northern Ireland game to finish the group also next Tuesday and kick off at six o'clock. And um, I suppose on the uh, search for a new manager, um, David, I mean, it's there's a similarity, obviously, to what's going to be the, the process that's going to come out in terms of uh, the post-Stephen Kenny era for the men's, this issue of alignment, uh, fitting the criteria, because clearly, um, as Mark Canham and the FAI um, judged in the end, Vera Powell wasn't uh, the person to, to carry this forward. So where do you feel things are at in terms of the next women's manager? Because there was an expectation that an appointment would have been made or at least announced uh, prior to the end of this uh, campaign. Yeah, because I think even going back to that press conference, uh, when between when Mark Cannon was there with Jonathan Hill, when they were kind of explaining, I think it was just after the the Greece defeat for the men's team, because it was because you know, we were saying Stephen Kenny was going to be staying on for the rest of the campaign, which he did until he until his contract was renewed, and then like Mark Cannon was talking with, with the women's team, he had at the point was he wanted to try and help someone in place during this campaign, and I suppose the fact that it's pretty much gone. As planned, and nothing like there's been no kind of like shocks that maybe 
that appointment wasn't needed to be rushed because Eileen Gleeson has just been so kind of just a steady pair of hands in there. She's obviously even listening to just what Megan Connolly was 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 saying earlier this week, even just saying like you know they haven't been challenged defensively. They've been able to have a pretty ideal campaign where they come in and and kind of impart that new style. So that's probably one of the aspects that will maybe still be up in the air from the FAO's point of view and maybe giving her the job as well. If you go back to the early reign for Vera Pell, kind of she was very much of the opinion they want she wanted to be playing, even though it was friendlies against the top teams and get like even though the, the record at the start was was really poor, but she was like wanted to challenge them against the, the top teams. It's been a polar opposite for for Eileen Gleason, and that's probably been I would say from the outside looking in the one thing that's kind of held the FAA back from saying, well, do you know what, just give you the job full time is because of maybe that caliber of uh, of opponent. But still, at the same time, like she's gone in, there's been a couple of new players coming in. The squad even you've seen it again for for this one that there's been a couple of the female girls coming in as well. Like she's poor, she's definitely put herself more so in the mix if 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 she wants it, you would you would think. But again, it's it kind of similar. It comes back well. It's that point we we're talking about the, with the team after after the World Cup in Australia as well. Well, like. Remember um, Louise Queen talking about you know they're ready to go now and, and play really good football and excite the world and take on teams. That's how the players were feeling. So if that's how the players are feeling and the players were spoken to a lot. A lot of the players were in that review of the World Cup and one of the reasons why Vera Pell went because that's how they were they were feeling. Well, that's clearly the sense of where they're going to be going with a manager who they feel is going to be progressive while still maintaining some of those characteristics that have made them so hard to beat and were really uh, influential through Vera Pell's um, few years there. That's going to be important, but then also kicking on a, a level. And as Callum had said, that presser were coming in those structures because it did seem as if maybe Vera Pell at that time was kind of, didn't, didn't maybe do that. But then the success was there as well. Formerly she delivered that success, but it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be one where you think, I'm looking at thinking, well, do you rock the boat too much and, and not give the job to, to Eileen Gleeson? Or have they, you would say, they have definitely have been obviously speaking to people. Have they found someone who you feel, you know what, this is this is the right fit going with the job? Because it's definitely those two elements, I would say, is making sure that you keep that kind of, the, the strength of the character that's there in that defensively, while also kicking on with what the players are looking for in terms of being a bit more progressive as well. Yeah, because I suppose there's a challenge as well, Paul. I mean, this has been a kind of calm after the storm in terms of this uh, Eileen Gleeson period, just given the calibre of opposition in the Nations League. But then straight away, as has already been confirmed by their, you know, the four wins in a row, they're already promoted to the League A, basically the uh, the top tier for the Euro qualifiers. Doesn't give a huge amount of time for the next manager, whether it's Gleeson or if it is somebody else, one of the people on their shortlist. I thought getting somebody in place for the Nations League, and maybe not from the very beginning, but at least halfway through would have been ideal for the next person to come in, Raf, purely on the basis of the opposition that you're playing against. You can try things out. You can look at different formations and people in different positions and even just put your own stamp on things. And I thought that was probably a bit of a missed opportunity that they've had a long period of time. And let's be honest about it. It's been a couple of months from from the end of the World Cup. And yes, Eileen has done a good job of steadying the ship. I think we've probably seen elements of being a bit more expansive within that team as well but I thought that you know we should have had somebody in by now to be honest with you I don't think you want to find yourself in a situation whereby you're heading into qualifiers 
and it's maybe the second or third time that a manager has got an opportunity to work with the squad. Um, we are in a position now whereby we have had such a successful World Cup campaign that we have to go and we have to go and build upon that. I don't think you want a situation where a manager comes in and maybe they lose their first two games and we say, oh, it's the betting in period. That doesn't work for anybody. Um, I also think that you know the characteristics and criteria of somebody that we're looking for the men's team is probably very different to the women's team. I think we've got the basis of a really experienced squad players who've been there and done that it probably just needs somebody to drop the handbrake a bit and let them play a bit more um i think the experience within that squad will have a know-how of getting results i think a bit of belief into being a bit more expansive is is what's potentially needed there while not losing the elements of our game that has has seen us through to world cups but i i just be a little worried with how the fai have approached this situation and I hope we don't see a mirror of that in the men's side as well. I know that there's no major rush to jump to conclusions with decisions, but I, I thought we'd have been further down the line with the women's one. And I hope that you know there's clarity and there's an understanding of what it is they're looking for and getting through a process a little quicker um, when it comes to filling these jobs, because both are massive, massive jobs, maybe for different reasons and at different stages, but you know, we need to get people in in position now so that they can at least have an opportunity to have a think about what it is they're going to do, speak with the players and get the ball rolling. Yeah, I think the expectation... And on that, Ralph, yeah. you, you referenced earlier Anthony's article on, on the site about all the stuff that's actually happening in the association as well. Like, we've seen it even just, like, this week, the fact that Jonathan Hill and Paddy Bannon are part of, like, some of the... the hierarchy in the FAO have been asked to attend to join the Rockets Committee just regarding everything that's happening as well. Like, there's a lot going on. It's a, a huge to-do list. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I, 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 do not, I do not think anybody in the FAO is going to be putting the out of office on for Christmas very, very soon. It's going to be, they're going to be woken up. Like, it's going to be a heavy one, you know? Yeah, I think the appointment anyway for the women's manager, the expectation is before Christmas, but exactly when that is going to be um, in December, I'm not 100% sure. But in terms of Shelburne, domestically at least, uh, the uh, Noel King had departed after the women's FAI Cup final defeat. Um, that had been flagged for a long time anyway. He had uh, said that he would be... Uh, Moving on to something else, Owen Weiran, who was um, manager of the clubs under 17s and won a double with them. He's now taken charge of uh, the first team. And then in the men's game, uh, some change here, David. So Cork City have appointed Tim Clancy. And then at the same time, Liam Buckley has left the club. So quite a quite a bit of, uh, you know, shifting sands there. Yeah, like it's just just regarding Tim Clancy and Cork, it just seems like absolutely ideal appointment in terms of like, we just been discussing the Ireland job but a fella who got dropped it, promoted, he's going to be going into a, a team there where they're going to be favourites to go back up. You can imagine we'll have more of a budget than, than, than dropped it and should be able to go in there very, very quickly and get a group of players ready to go and get promoted because like the last thing they, they can do is, is feel sorry for themselves about after getting relegated and he's not going to be a manager that's going to be allowed for that. He has that kind of track record recording in, in getting a team up and you would expect him to be able to do that. And then maybe you would think even it's probably a bit bizarre to be looking ahead, but again, the ideal manager to just stabilise in the Premier Division for a little bit, like he, you would think that and, and kick on, he would be the ideal fella for that. That's you would imagine gonna be where where Cork are at, where like promotion is what what he'll have to deliver. And like you would you would expect that he's gonna be well capable of, of doing that, you know. Like he 
other than that disappointment of a of a start to the season and Pats on the back of what had been a, a good twenty a good second half of the season in twenty twenty two for Pats, he would have still been in the job. Just sometimes not he wasn't able to maybe just sustain a bit of the momentum that he'd been able to build up and lost players and stuff. And then yeah, with Owen Wearden, it's uh kind of mixed feelings thinking, Jesus, I remember reporting on him like seven or eight years ago and he's coming back to the league and now he's like already a manager and he's still only five years younger than me as well. So I'm like, oh my God, that just makes me feel ridiculous. But it's that's just gonna, it's just going to be interesting to see. He's like, it's polar opposite, isn't it, from Noel King, someone who's been so experienced and been around the men's game and the women's game for, for decades in Irish football and so entrenched in the, in the FAI and, and, and Irish football. And then you've got... Similar to Kieran Kildut, who obviously played in the league in the in the, the Premier Division of men's team and, and the fourth division as well, I think, didn't he? Um done well with Athlone and now obviously um with with Owen coming in, like went over for West Ham as a as a young fellow. I think you're saying Paul actually had forgotten he was on that same team as as Robbie Brady and Jeff Hendrick. Yep. Yeah, and then like came back playing the league with with with, with balls and and now he's just gone. Yeah, now he's just that another another young manager. You you kind of wonder because the jobs are the, the women's game. Obviously, is on the on the on the rise. You know, it's gonna be getting back. To, it needs to be getting back to properly now. With, when all the rest of it over the next little while, it, you would only expect it's gonna be going strength to strength in terms of even the professional professionalism of it. So it's gonna be interesting to see the different kind of characters who. Realize well, actually, like there's a serious, there's going to be a serious uh, job going with different clubs and a, a chance to really kind of forge a really good career for yourself, you know. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how he does on on that case. And look, what we've been talking about earlier, what other managers, just even how he's going to go about and, and play with play with that team, you know. There's probably a few few shells players there who would get the cuff on. It's probably sick and tired of talking about how it could be their last their last season and. The, the old dogs of war. That's what the like some of the some of the shells players seem to be referred to constantly for the last number of years. But it's going to be interesting to see how how onward it goes about how goes goes about it with, with them next season. Yeah, and uh, Paul, in terms of Pats as well, and I suppose related to Cork City as well, like Rory Keaton making the move uh, over to Pats, and who seem really stable now, and like some of the signings they're making seems very exciting for next season. Yeah, it does, and and um, they're they're going to lose Mark Doyle out of the yeah out of the squad, which is not a massive hole, but it is a hole when it comes to behind the contributions in the final third. Like he scored some really important goals in, in the run into the league and also then within the, the semi-final and the final of the cup. So that's somebody who I'm sure Jonathan Zay will be looking at and thinking, okay, we need to replace his goals. And I think Brandon Cavan is probably an underrated signing. I think he he did really well for for Derry whenever I saw him play. Like he's a very creative player, score goals, but also assisted a lot in that final third. And I think when you might have seen something on Twitter around kind of his his contributions to minutes played, he's right up there with the very best in the league. And I think he's somebody who has a lot to offer to that side. I used to love watching him at Shamrock Rovers, just a beautiful left foot. And I think he's probably somebody who will fit into the squad when you look at the age profile, but also then into the into the playing style. He's somebody who could make a big impact, but. Of course, there's no getting away from from Rory Keating. I'm sure, pretty much every team in the league would have been looking to get him in. Um, Connor Carty did a good job last year. Uh, Tommy Lonergan looks like somebody who can certainly grow into that shirt. But I think when you're looking at somebody who's ready made to to step into one of let's say the top four clubs and score goals, Rory Keating is absolutely that. And um, he's obviously had a 
a very difficult incident in his in his personal life, losing his father. He missed games as a result of that. He was injured for certain periods of the season, and he still managed to hit so many goals in a team that was struggling down the the bottom end of the league. And uh, I think he's at the right age. He's he's twenty eight now. He's had good experience in the kind of the, the lesser leagues in the UK, which teaches you a lot about how to handle yourself, how to hold up the ball. And then we've seen, obviously, last year's ability to put the ball in the back of the net. So he's definitely, it will definitely give Pats another kind of rung to their arm. You could see them kind of kicking on a bit. And I think when you've got somebody at the top end of the pitch like that, even when games are tight or maybe you're behind, you always feel like you've got an opportunity because he doesn't need too many chances to put the ball in the back of the net. So a massive signing for Pats. And it was important for them because if you think of what happened last time when they won the cup, O'Donnell left the building, Benson left. It almost sucked them back into the chasing back. Whereas now they've won the cup. They're building on that. They seem to have tied down some of their more important players, like Sir Curtis and Adam Murphy, still yet to be seen. But they've got the nucleus of a really strong squad. Probably still a bit behind, I would say, Shamrock Rovers, in my opinion. But Keating definitely gets some closer. Yeah, and then uh, Kerry FC and Dundalk. Now, there's a transfer situation here that doesn't involve players and managers, uh, David. It's actually the owner, Brian Ainscuff, who's uh, now Irish-born, US businessman, um, who's... Uh, taking over at Dundalk now, taking a 100% uh, stake there. And it's an interesting situation, I guess, for both clubs. Obviously, Kerry made their debut last season, but they're, they have plans in place for 2024. And Dundalk were in a bit of uncertainty. But um, I guess for Stephen O'Donnell, it's a positive for him. Yeah, correct. It finally brings a little bit of clarity, I suppose, in terms of where they're at. You would imagine now, since that takeover, because remember, wasn't it? it was John Fallon's report reported last week in the in the Irish Examiner that, that that was going through, and definitely kind of, if, well, it felt like a, a kind of one out of left field, really. Although obviously some of the other US investors and some of the other investors who are involved in Kerry are main, which is a big thing for them, because the last thing you would have wanted is for the club after that for one person to. Have, left and then for everything to fall apart because it'd be great for, for football in the league to, to to keep on developing down there. Um and then yeah but from the Dundalk point of view, like even on the basis of we were just be chatting like just chatting there about Rory Keane and like the whole Pahuba situation where he still has a year left was when I stand on his contract but had been told he was able to leave. Still even though this is this change of ownership you never know football would would materialise, still could be the case that he could leave. He, he could leave, but you would think that if they still wanted him, if I don't think it is that the finances, he has got a contract that, that that could be achieved. But it's more so a case now of actually knowing for Stephen and Donald Wright, this is now going forward where 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 we're at because this this takeover, if you go back to what's even happened at, at Shelbourne and the takeover that they happened with the with um, at uh, and there he was obviously looking at, at Dundalk as well. There'd been other interest as well since obviously um, Peak Six left and uh, Statsports and Andy Connolly came in just to kind of steady the ship, but it became apparent very quickly that to get to be challenging at a point like the other clubs who are at the top end of the table to get them docked back to where they had been previously under under Stephen Kenny and in, in, even in you forget the early days when he, he was still there when Peak Six were there for that fourth season that they've needed fresh investment it's now coming um, and it's kind of now going to be somewhere it's kind of late enough. it's mad we're saying it now in terms of 28th November and not even into December but most of the clubs would have a fair bit of business already done, you know, and not that not that them dog could be scratching around, but if it allows them look maybe outside the market and to invest, they definitely need it because you could see 
when they got into position last year, they just fell short because they just weren't able to sustain it with the with the size of their squad. And if they now look like they're going to be losing Hugan as well, they're going to need to get a goal scorer. Do you know what I mean? They're going to need someone to, to come in and fill that void. Unless, sometimes as is the way in football, you have to, will actually just park what your best laid plans and all that. Sometimes you have to make do with what you, what you have. And it's not a bad, he's not a bad striker to be making do with if you've got a new owner coming in who'll be able to maybe get a few bodies around him to even supply him with, with more chances for more goals because he's someone who could easily score another 15 goals next season for them talking about order. Yeah, and before we uh, finish off on the Champions League, uh, just a word, um, Paul, on uh, Luke Byrne. Um, obviously, just retired as uh, Shelburne captain. Seemed to be a huge character there and um, very much beloved by his teammates as well, based on the reaction to his uh, statement. And, um, you know, obviously, he's also done a lot of coaching work behind the scenes at the club uh, at the uh, at the underage level too. I would say not, not only, you know, liked and respected by Shells, but I'd say probably around the league in, in as well, Raf. Um, I was with Luke at Shamrock Rovers for the year that I was there and just a, a really impressive character, very professional in everything that he does. He was hampered badly with the, the knee injury that he sustained all those years ago. And I think with time and the other little niggles that you pick up, it's probably caught up on him. And I know he wasn't training much at Shells and maybe just kind of, struggling from game to game to to just get out there and eventually that takes its toll so it's very it's very difficult to see because he is somebody that you know wore his heart and his sleeve and gave absolutely everything to the club both on and off the pitch and you could see in the performances when he was there just his ability to organize and defend was so pivotal to shells but I think when you take it away and you kind of you look at him as a player and everything that he achieved you just look at the person and he's absolutely the right type of character that you would want in your dressing room no kind of surprise to see that he was the one that was leading that Shelburne dressing room Damien Duff speaks very fondly of him but just a really decent human and somebody who has so much to offer still in the game and I'd be very surprised if you didn't see him dipping into coaching and eventually into management because he is absolutely obsessed with football um, lives and breeds us and gives out kind of all of his life to us so I was, I was sad in one way to see that, you know, he's probably not gone out in his own terms. It's a situation that injuries have just caught up on him. He's probably got no other option but to kind of protect what is the rest of his life and his knees and everything that goes with it. Um, you won't, it won't be the end of Luke. I'm absolutely certain of that. I'm sure Shells would love to keep him around the, the club in general because he has done so well for them. But I think as a whole and a lot of people around the league and I'm sure the journals would echo it as well. Just a really, really good human being. Yeah, for sure. Um, And our live Champions League co- uh, coverage tonight, it's RT2 and RT player from 7.30 along the live blog on RT.ie and uh, that is uh, PSG against Newcastle. Newcastle, of course, won um, at St. James's Park, trashed PSG on that occasion. But what I wanted to talk about, Paul, was just Alex Murphy, you know, um, an Irish player who's, well, Ireland under 19 international, has been included in a, a recent Ireland under 21 squad as well, started his career at Galway United um, in the first division and then moved across uh, to Newcastle. We hadn't seen too much of him, but there was always a sense that actually his pre-season was, was excellent. And now he's made his uh, Premier League debut as well so a bit of spotlight on him as well and I suppose great from an Irish perspective oh, Absolutely, it's brilliant and I mean it's great to see young Irish players making it into first teams, you know, to make your debut and, and push through in a perceived say top 6 or top 8 club is extremely difficult to do so he is obviously somebody who Eddie Howe is, is taken very very seriously and you're right, he was very involved in pre-season games and he wouldn't have gone on that tour if 
if he wasn't showing signs of promise or signs of somebody who could potentially step into the first team further down the line. It was the ideal situation to come on. The, the game was very much kind of dead and buried. The injury to Dan Byrne and being out for a long period of time has probably opened up a bit of an avenue whereby he might get trip-fed minutes um, off the bench or he might get a couple of minutes in the FA Cup further on or later on in the season. But he is absolutely, you know, the journey that we want to see replicated as much as we possibly can, whereby you get into a League of Ireland underage system, you make your way into the first team. Then if you're good enough, you go across to the UK and you give yourself a really good opportunity of, of getting into the first team. Um, he's in a very good position. You look at kind of the younger players that are, surrounded within that Newcastle dressing room, even the likes of Anthony Gordon, there's a real sort of cohort of players from 24 down that that squad and that team are going to go places. Eddie Howe will do brilliant things, I think, with him to develop his talent. And he's got all the the characteristics. You look at him, he's a big lad. He's, he's obviously got a, a left foot, which is not something that you come across very often. Left-footed centre-halves are a rarity, and managers love it because it brings balance to your back four. Um, I would imagine with time he will naturally come into that centre-half position but will probably play in his earlier years as, as a bit of a left-back to try to get him some game time. But it's it's the journey that you want to see replicate as much as we possibly can because we're going to have to develop our own talent. And it's a great story for, for Galway to see him to move on. But it's important now that he continues to get minutes, whether that be with Newcastle or out and loan, because playing games, Raph, is the only way that you continue to develop. And because he's got so much talent minutes are going to be very important for him. Yeah, I suppose it was nice as well for yourself because uh, it distracts away from the trashing Chelsea got <laughs> as well. I think that just needs to be added as well. But uh, Alejandro Garnacho and obviously Man United playing in the Champions League tomorrow, uh, uh, David, and their group situation at the moment, their bottom, uh, Bayern Munich top on 12, Copenhagen on four, Galatasaray on four, United on three, and United going to hell, um, uh, which is basically the uh, Galatasaray's home ground. Um, but Garnacho obviously gave them a great moment at the weekend but then when as I said going into the Champions League tomorrow and then of course they have a final group game against Bayern Munich who are going to be incredibly daunting it's uh they're still in a very uncertain position yeah well, I think the only thing certain about United in the Champions League is that it's probably going to be a game that's going to end 5-4 or about two sentences off and a couple of penalties because the campaign so far has just been manic if you go back even to the, like the Bayern Munich game away from home up until Onan is kind of uh Error. They were reasonably, they looked reasonably comfortable. Do you know what I mean? But that's kind of that's so far the story for United is like, and even in the Premier League, they have moments, periods, and games where they look good, but just can't sustain it. Yeah, in the league, like they managed to survive those um, Everton fans who are angry holding up the placards. I'm not sure how they managed to escape when with the uh, considering how uh, the vitriol of of, of Goodison Park. It was what was it? I saw one of the papers name describing how it was going to be like a bear pit. But yeah, it was just thousands of people doing. To be honest, and I don't know how professional footballers would cope in such a in such an atmosphere. Whereas now they actually are going to be going to like probably one of the loudest stadiums in the world, and it's going to be as well at a team who like are properly in the mix to qualify. It's going to be so intense for them to to, to cope. And a good team they show that at Old Trafford where they have the chances and they, they punish United. You know, kind of does feel like maybe you kind of get this at the moment for United where. In the league, if they were able to transform some of that, maybe result get just getting grinding out results in the league. If they can, that's what they're going to need to do for the next couple of games. Because if they don't do it, if they don't do it uh, against Galatasaray, they're going to be out. Do you know what I mean? But let's be honest, 
like if they were to progress from the group at this stage, it would be a great turnaround for them. But you couldn't see them going much further where the, the calibre teams who, who would be there. It does still feel at the moment that United's kind of where they're at the the Europa League is kind of their level still at the moment in terms of in terms of a competition where they they should be challenging in or going deep in. That's where 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 they would be at. Obviously, if they were to pull it out of the bag and, and find a way of, in the next couple of games of still getting through in their in their group, it would be it'll be a kind of tremendous success for them because it, it just has been so just disappointing so far. Um, but it does feel as well with the results and coming back after the international window, getting that really good win against Everton, and that was kind of slagging there about the, the the atmosphere and all the rest. But it could have easily been it could have easily been a game that they did let their heads heads drop in and getting that goal from Arnacho was just incredible goal, like absolutely amazing goal, gave them a kind of a basis to to walk off. But they've been in those situations before when they've kind of got themselves into a good position and not been able to do it. And that's what they have to kind of show that they're capable of doing. And if they can do it tomorrow night, it's going to be a, a huge thing for them. Yeah, and just to note before we go, a uh, good weekend for some of the Irish players uh, playing across the water and in case, and the continent as well. So Evan Ferguson goal against Nottingham Forest, up to six for the season uh, in the league. Chidozi Bene, a brilliant assist against Crystal Palace for Luton. Andrew Moore in a goal and an assist for Blackburn against Stoke. And then Troy Parrott scoring and assisting in the Rotterdam derby, which is uh, for Excelsior against Feyenoord, uh, albeit they, uh, they lost 4-2 but I think from Parrot's point of view it's all about his own progression there and you can watch the draw for the Euro 2024 group stage on Saturday at 5pm on the RT News channel and the RT player but that is it for the soccer podcast this year we'll be back next February in time for the 2024 League of Ireland season but you can stay subscribed in the meantime for any entries we release on the feed between now and then David and Paul thanks very much for your time Gareva Mila Mohagat August Slán Gafos Gafos